my husband and I have talked about this in depth, which is like, okay, that salary that I pay myself is terrific, but I have not taken a vacation and had the business continue to run and like make money and have clients be served. It's always been like, okay, well after this launch or something like that, I can just like put up in a out of office for a while. Um, so that's really the goal now is training the team that I have now so that um, I'm really not doing anything that critical. After you've designed all the processes, you've used software to automate them, you've hired the team, it's time to actually step back to let maintenance mode run and well, maintain. I'm Susan Bowles and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit and increase your operational capacity. Now that step back can feel kind of scary especially if it's your first time taking a genuine break from your business. It might feel like you're standing at a precipice trying to figure out if you'll trip and fall over the edge or if it's just a tiny step down to a solid surface. That step means that you have to trust that the systems you've built and the team you've trained can handle whatever comes up. But taking that step away from your business and taking a break is also the point of maintenance mode. That's the goal, to allow you to be able to take a break from your business without breaking your business. And what does that look like in a real business? To go through the process, to prepare for maintenance mode, build the systems, and then trust them to work and step away. That's what we're talking about today. Claire Pelletro is a Facebook and Instagram ad expert and a conversion optimization specialist. Claire also loves talking about money, profit, loss, the whole shebang. She asks her guests how much they charge and how much they earn on her show, The Get Paid Podcast. Claire recently took a break from her business. She went on maternity leave for several months. Now, she knew it was coming, so she prepared, she planned, and she got her business ready to operate in maintenance mode. And then she walked away for months during a pandemic. So you semi-recently <laughs> uh, went on parental leave after having a baby and you actually did quite a bit of planning before you left to make sure that everything was able to operate in maintenance mode without you. So can you tell me a little bit about what kinds of preparation you did to be able to step away from your business for a few months? Yes. So I think the most important piece that I had to have in place for my maternity leave was somebody who could continue to serve my students. So I help people run their own Facebook and Instagram ads. So that is a really tricky thing. And at the time when I was you know, starting my maternity leave, my main offer was a self-study course. And that came with a Facebook group, which has quite a bit of support in it. And that support primarily was me for a while. So getting somebody who could come in and really replace me, answer those questions, care at the same level as I did for um, my students and helping them, you know, get through the complicated ads manager, that was really 
the biggest thing that I did. So um, I had one of the people who I had previously trained on ads, she came in, she started answering questions in the group. She started answering more questions than I would answer a day, mostly because she was just pretty tenacious. She is tenacious. And um, then she would even take over my Q&A calls. So for a while we were doing like monthly Q&A calls for people. And then we went into twice a month and she would do one of those calls and I would do the other. And when those were going extremely well, I decided that she could just take over all of them so that I could be completely off in my business. How did you, how did you find someone who could, as you put it, care at the same level you cared at? I had actually a number of people that I could have turned to to fill in this role. And that is just a product of um, one of my previous offerings, which was training ad consultants to run ads, to really be more successful at their jobs. Um, and because of the way I've always done business, which is a little bit to my detriment, I have always had pretty close relationships with my like quote unquote higher end clients, you know, just people who have invested quite a bit of money with me. I, I always kept those programs small and uh, just had like deep relationships with them. So there were a bunch of people who I knew I could turn to in order like to find that person. And she just happened to be somebody who I knew was doing that kind of work for someone else already, not necessarily answering Facebook ad related questions, but managing a, a group being like a community manager. Um, so I turned to her, I offered her an hourly rate and she kind of went ahead and did it. And, and then she and I would talk for a while about like, oh, you know, this is what I would also ask or let's direct them more into the course than like hand holding them necessarily in this Facebook thread. Um, but yeah, I had an existing relationship with her. It wasn't a thing where I put up a job post. I had to do that a lot after my maternity leave. <laughs> so outside of managing your community and making sure that the people in your courses were taken care of, that they were still supported, that all the calls were happening the way that they were supposed to happen, what else did you need to think about or make sure would happen if you weren't there? Mostly what I focused on was having my podcast continue to publish episodes. So that meant that I had to batch record some episodes. Most of them I actually decided to make solo episodes because I found them to be easier to, to create and kind of on my own timeline. Now, I was six-ish months pregnant when we all went into lockdown in March 2020 and my childcare got cut in half because my daughter was going full-time to daycare and my husband, who's also an entrepreneur, runs his own business, we were splitting up the day, right? So I suddenly had about half the time and it felt like a lot of work to do these, I mean, sometimes my podcast interviews go up to 90 minutes. So I already had a bunch recorded actually just by chance in February, I had said, okay, let's, let's do like 10 episodes this month. Um, knowing that I would probably do that again before the end of my maternity leave. But 
we all go into lockdown. I decide to do solo episodes. And then I also chose which episodes we would bring back in like a greatest hit series. So essentially I had enough new episodes that would last me, I want to say through eight to 12 weeks of my maternity leave. And I, I like plan to come back after around 12 weeks, but I didn't think that I would jump into podcasting. And I was right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I didn't say, Claire, you have to have six months worth of episodes for, you know, in, in order to give yourself this break. Nah, I said, let's get these done as many as I feel like I actually want to get done as I get go towards the end of, you know, my time before the baby was born. And then, all right, then I've got, here are 10 episodes that people have loved and probably many people have never heard. So they will be the greatest hit series that we put up until I get back to recording. And yeah, I the, love that. Yeah. And guess what? I've done that a bunch of times. A whole lot of times I have a greatest hit series because I need to take a break. My show was once uh, once every week. Right now it's uh, once every other week. And I, I don't really believe in in just like having to make sure you have brand new content every single week. People have a lot of podcasts to listen to. So um, they'll be okay if they have to wait two weeks for a next episode with me. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm uh, running into the same uh, conundrum right now of considering pulling back from weekly episodes into every other week episodes, just to give myself a little bit of breathing room and to be able to be more creatively involved in the editing process. So I'm curious how you thought about pulling back to week uh, bi-weekly episodes if you'd already been doing weekly for so long. Well, yeah, it just, it kind of became a, a decision I had to make just looking at my calendar. Um, but that that all happened like once I came back to work. And I know I know you want to dig into that kind of after the fact. Okay. But the last thing that I did to like really put us in maintenance mode uh, was to focus on building up my company reserves. And company reserves for me is just literal, li literally a digital envelope in my budgeting software. You need a budget, why not? And um, it's just extra money. I call it, you know, like padding for extra expenses or like what happens if suddenly I don't make any more sales anymore for me be, to be able to cover my salary and expenses. So I just continued to um, kind of pay into that or, or make sure that I was putting money away in case my evergreen sales took a dip because that's mostly how I was making money uh, with just an evergreen sales funnel of people coming in to watch a webinar, deciding to buy or not. And how many months of expenses were you aiming for or did you end up with? Um, did you have a specific goal before you left? I actually started paying into like Claire's maternity leave and I wanted $20,000 in that. So that was separate from company reserves so that I could pay myself $5,000 every month uh, for four months without touching company reserves. And that was as if like, okay, you don't make any more sales, let's just say, worst case scenario. So um, I still had plenty of money to cover my expenses, which were pretty low actually, because of kind of just what happened pre-maternity leave, where most of my team had ended up going and working elsewhere, which was just a happy coincidence because then the pandemic hit and 
my sales slowed down significantly before they shot up again. Mm, and your team had kind of naturally moved on to other things yes. just before that? Yeah, just before that in, in January, my like longtime virtual assistant who had moved to into more of like a project manager role, um, she and I parted ways. And then the person who was helping me with marketing, she had always said like, listen, I have this other job and they want me full time. And I was like, but I want you full time. And they were like, yeah, but they pay a lot more. So... <laughs> I always knew that that was a possibility, and her last day was March 10th. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. And then I was I was left with my really terrific and very affordable assistant. So um, yeah, costs were pretty low. That's perfect timing. You couldn't have planned that better. I could not have. So while you were on maternity leave, what did maintenance mode for your business during parental leave actually look like? Were you working at all? Were you totally separated from your business and you did nothing? What did that look like for you while you were in it? I did nothing and it was glorious. But unfortunately, I couldn't separate my brain from the business. Uh, that was just, I mean, really, so my son was born at the beginning of July. And if you'll recall, the be beginning of June 2020, our country underwent like a huge reckoning about race and, you know, police violence and Black Lives Matter and all of that. And um, that impacted my evergreen funnel because I had finally turned on ads that were making they were making like, let's say $1,000 for every 500 that I put in. I can't remember if that's exactly right, but so it was fine. I certainly wasn't unhappy. Um, but as soon as that hit, we turned off the ads because it, it was not a time to be talking about Facebook and Instagram ads on social media in June, 2020. And then the, the results just never recovered and I was off. So, my sales definitely dropped significantly. And that's what I found myself thinking about a lot. Like, oh, I'm not good enough. Um, people, like, because I'm not showing up, people, they think that I'm not somebody to learn from, blah, blah, blah. And then I eventually just got over it because I was like, I have the money. This is exactly what I saved for. So chill out. Yeah, I think... I think the mental benefits of having a decent cash reserve are so uh, undervalued because that's really the, it's the cushion. It's just a, like a, a warm blanket to be like, oh, I planned for this. I'm okay. It's okay. Exactly. You can weather this. It was really hard for me to say it's okay. It's okay. Because unfortunately I attached too much of my self-worth to like me making sales. Um, so... It really did take until almost when my maternity leave was over for me to say, you know what, that's fine. If you don't make another sale in this funnel ever, you're going to be fine. But I could see where it could be especially frustrating to have a dip and also to have planned not to be working and to not be able to work. And I like I can feel that frustration. Yeah, the only thing I maybe would have done differently is um, put together like social media content that didn't make me look so disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, but the funny thing is I'm not really on social media when I'm working. When you're active. 
happens. But yeah, and and so that's why I'm I'm not 100% sure what happened that summer. If it had to do with the fact that people had been on lockdown and then suddenly they're going out and they're doing things whether or not they should be. Um, was it just because June was like a, you know, such a difficult time for black people in this country um, or for like all these white people who are waking up to their white privilege and whatnot. Is that, I don't really believe that that truly stopped the whole, oh, I, I still need to grow my business. But the fact that I was never super visible is what's always been a question mark for me. I mean, everybody, uh, everybody I talked to had a bit of a dip last summer Oh, outside of DEI people. Ah, okay. Like DEI people saw huge spikes of mm -hmm desperate demand mm -hmm. um and most of the other people i talked to it kind of petered off and i don't know if that's you know people had no child care which was my scenario and i was like i'm not doing anything mm. nothing's happening i can't learn anything i can't do anything like i don't have child care at all but so see, here we are i would have thought that but my business saw like a, a really big boom in april and may well, sure, because everybody was like, what do I do? How do I make money? Yeah, but so <laughs> didn't they have that need to make money a couple months later? Or had they just like settled in? So I saw the opposite, um, which was I expected everybody to be like, oh, I need to manage my cash flow. Let me deal with finances. But that's not what happened. And all of my friends who were copywriters or marketers saw a huge spike in April and, Mar and May because everybody was like, oh, I need to market like, or I'm pivoting, or I'm gonna, how, how do I make money? What special offer can I offer to make people make money? Um, so I saw lots of people with marketing fields spike right after, then go quiet over the summer, mm. and mine was opposite. So after that spike in marketing, I saw, like, that was radio silence for me. And then just after that is when people started doing financial stuff. So I don't know if it's just the psychological, like how people react in a crisis mm -hmm. of I must market, I must sell, I must, I must do the things. And then they realize, well, nobody's really buying anything because nobody knows what's happening. All right, let me try something else. I don't know. How did that feel for you in, in April and May when things got really quiet? So I ended up doing some customer research and shifting my business model a little bit. Um, but April felt weird. Like March, I wasn't that worried about because we lost school. And so we were trying to do childcare and, um, my husband was in Florida at the time that like COVID all hit. Mm. <laughs> so I was doing the solo parenting plus there's no school. Um, and I didn't really pay attention to it until probably the middle of April. And then I was like, huh, this is weird. It's really quiet. And I kind of expected a little bit of a bump um, and just started talking to people. And it sounded like marketing people good, other financial people all quiet. Oh. Um, and so just kind of took a breath. I mean, I was completely underwater capacity wise anyway, <laughs> with all of a sudden having no time to work and dealing with virtual schooling and no childcare. Um, and yeah, it was probably May before I had a chance to actually try and do anything about it and just started talking to customers, prospective customers, people who had said, hey, I really wanna work with you, but I can't, I can't afford to work with you. Because at that point in time, I was doing only recurring high-level CFO work with people. 
-hmm. So very high-end consulting clients and not that many clients. Um, and so just reached out and was like, hey, what do I... You said you wanted to work with me. What does that look like for you? Um, which ended up being me piloting a group program, which led to um, a course. Um, so it kind of shifted the direction of my business, but it just felt weird. It felt eerie. And like everybody was holding their breath trying to figure out like, is this what it's going to be? Mm. What, how long is this going to last? How cool can I be about this? And people with good cash reserves were like, cool, I'll just take a... Like, I'll take a breather. I'm not going to panic. We're just cut some costs, see what we could do, and just wait it out. And then there was the other side of people that were kind of panicking and grabbing it. Whatever they can grab, whether it was working or not. Hmm. Yeah, I straight panicked in March um, because my evergreen funnel didn't make a sale for three weeks. And that was unusual. And I... So we're at the very end of March when another sale comes in and I'm thinking, I may never make a sale from this funnel again. And I'm, you know, I've got maternity leave. I need to be making money in the following few months in order to save it, not like using my reserves already. <laughs> and then and then it was a, a boom. But that's very interesting um, about I mean, I, I kind of knew about the boom for other like how to make money people or copywriters, marketing copywriters. But didn't didn't really hear about the the dip so maybe that was it maybe it was not just me <laughs> <laughs> yeah almost everybody i talked to just went cold for a couple of weeks and then dip. it was very industry specific who came back when hmm. i came back in september i mean not me from not me but my business your my business sales. came back in september yep. that sounds about what most people found I think mm. um, and not all at once there was still definitely the impact of not having everybody back in schools was mm -hmm. pretty significant I think for a lot of people um, but yeah I'm interested to see what continues to happen because there there's definitely like some unusual ebbs and flows that are still ongoing mm -hmm. definitely so when you came back and you came back from work, I know you made some changes based off of, you know, what you experienced and you created some new systems and new processes. You mentioned hiring. So tell me about what you ended up doing when you came back. What did you need to create and why did you need to create it? So before I went on maternity leave, in fact, I was taking these long walks, like really, really big uh, around the woods near my house and thinking, I have this problem and I don't know how to fix it. And the problem was that this self-study course that I had that I was selling for um, about $1,500, it was great, but we had added so much support to it that it it, I needed to take something away. I needed to like pull back on what I had offered and I didn't know how to do that. Um, I have always felt that, you know, people would be really, really angry at me if they didn't have lifetime access to calls with me or to a group or things like that. But the like time we would spend on, on students over years would make it be like, the, the, as if they paid like, two or three hundred dollars for the course per year and some people 
had paid only $100 for it because we would just keep bringing people in. Like no matter how much we raised the price at, they would continue to get the group and then the calls and then, you know, like lifetime updates. So I was definitely thinking about how like, okay, I want to simplify the business. I really want to go in on just one offer because I did have that program where I trained ad consultants. Um, but going in on this one offer at that price point, it just, it was going to be a tremendous slog to be profitable. Like no, no doubt I could have sold hundreds of that a year, hundreds of enrollments into that course, but it was gonna require a very large ad spend and a team, and it just wasn't going to end up with me paying myself any more than I was paying myself in my best year yet, right? So to that point, up until that point, the the most I had paid myself and have paid myself was $100,000, like after taxes, right? That is a great salary, great take-home pay, um, but it didn't make sense like what i was looking at my business model just didn't fit if i were going to try to grow that mm -hmm. so i decided to take that program add some other programs that it actually created that i didn't realize complemented it and turned it into like this hybrid coaching and coaching program plus course so I had to launch that. It was like a kind of a, a complex launch. I enrolled in a coaching program to learn how to do this. Um, and the thing was, right when I got back from maternity leave, my wonderful assistant told me that he had taken another job, which was 35 hours a week. And so I was hoping to ramp him up to like back to where he was before, which was probably 15 to 20 hours a week, um, back when we were like super busy pre-pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. But that was no longer an option. And so it became clear to me that I was going to have to replace him because five hours a week, like it was great that he knew the business very well, but five hours a week probably wasn't gonna cut it. Uh, especially it being like evenings and weekends for him. And I also was going to need a coach for this program and like finally my first full-time person. So the coach, the ads coach is that same person, Laura, who I had helping my students before. She's now helping my clients. She's still helping the students in that group. And I did, my virtual assistant then helped me find and hire the new virtual assistant. Both of them are in Nigeria and they were like working together in a co-working space. So he helped me onboard her, which was terrific. And then in March, I finally hired and onboarded my very first full-time employee. And she's more of like executive assistant, kind of project manager, hybrid role. All right. So you have, from the beginning of getting ready to do maintenance mode you've basically rebuilt a whole new team and shifted your business model yes and i've had to create a, a fair amount of new content for that new program but not like from scratch you're repurposing stuff you already had yes yes 
Interesting. And it's not perfect. I'll just say that um, because especially with Facebook ads, the interface changes every two seconds. You know, we have to make loom videos sometimes for our clients and they really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> but it's so I will say that, you know, there's still improvements that I always see that we can make. But um, it's a program that is it's super helpful, especially now with like Apple changes and things like that. Um, and it goes just beyond the ads. And that's what was always missing. I had an ads course that was great if you already had a business that like all of your assets converted and things like that. And that was rare. It was rare that people would buy that course when they already had those things in place. So now this actually attracts a more advanced um, business owner or a slightly more savvy business owner who maybe hasn't, you know, like, grown their business very much yet, but they know that like ads will help them fast track that. So what was the hardest part either about getting into or kind of operating in business mode for you? Was there anything that was a particular challenge either going into this, coming out of it, or just being not in your business? I think the hardest part was the fact that I was no longer going to be in that Facebook group with my self-study course and thinking that people were going to be very unhappy, especially if they bought while I was on maternity leave so that they had like no access to me. I've always had this belief that people are like buying direct access to me and it might be because I have kind of offered that on my sales pages not recommended. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I don't I don't know why I thought that that was like the only way to get people buy, to buy was like to offer them my firstborn. But um they didn't mind. At least I heard no complaints. And guess what? If there were complaints, I had somebody in place to make sure I never saw that, which is also key, you know, having that assistant in the inbox very helpful. Um but yeah, just like really relinquishing control and letting my letting Laura, the ads coach, really coach and just help people get the results that they're looking for. And she did a great job. How did you convince yourself to let go? Because I know that that is an issue for lots of folks as they are kind of trying to scale or step back from being the person in their business. The thing that trips them up is this being able to actually let go and let someone else do the thing. How did you get yourself through that? This is my baby and I am the only one who can do this into here's this person who is completely capable and is going to do this thing. Before I started my business, so 2012 to 2013, I worked for a company that it's one of like, you know, it's a well-known company that pivoted into a software as a service, but at the time it was an info product business, like, you know, social media marketing. And there was the customer service person, Christina, who was fantastic. And I forget how, but the team would often see, maybe it was because our boss like highlighted this, um, the emails that came in from people that were like, thank you so much, Christina. You are amazing, yada, yada. So I have always had that in my head that like it didn't have to be 
my boss at the time, answering all the questions, hand-holding, doing all of that, so long as somebody cared, so long as somebody showed they cared. And I'm pretty sure she even maybe once explained that to me, my boss. And so I've always had that in my head. And then when I started seeing, before I went on maternity leave, I would start seeing Laura answering these questions before I would even open Facebook for the day and see the same kind of things like, thank you so much, you're amazing. Um, or hearing that in our inbox, like Laura is so great, I just wanted to say that. That really kind of cemented it for me. Like it does not have to be me. There's nothing that I have that Laura doesn't. Um, so don't people, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I had to have a friend reiterate this to me before, <laughs> like in the, the final weeks, you know, she was like, I think cause she was actually in that group. She was like, Claire, I don't care if I get an answer from you. I just want an answer. So that was that was what helped me is seeing that positive feedback, but also remembering that um, in another company run by somebody who I respect tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. So were there any critical parts or systems or people that you either had to have ahead of time uh, or that you know that you need to have now having been through this whole experience? to make sure that your business is resilient, that it can operate without you consistently. Anything that was particularly key now or then? I think it is the most important thing for like me to be able to, if I wanted to have another baby and take another maternity leave or just even go on a long vacation. Um, and this is something that I learned, especially from the book Clockwork, is like giving ownership to other team members, not just tasks, but like, hey, you're in charge of this. And it, it doesn't have to be me. Once again, that's the, the motto, <laughs> the theme of this episode. Um, so that like I'm planning on taking a vacation in about a month. And so now I'm talking to the team about, OK, what has to happen? Um, oh, look, I'm I still have ownership of a bunch of things that I don't need to have ownership of. So let's get that off my plate. I love the idea of just what's still on my plate that shouldn't be here and checking in on that regularly because I think it's so easy to end up either taking back ownership of something when somebody, when a team member moves on that you haven't replaced. And so you take it on for a while and then you always forget to like put it back out on somebody else's plate. So I love the idea of just checking in regularly um, and vacations are great examples of that. Yeah, that was my whole goal. Um, my husband and I have talked about this in depth, which is like, okay, um, like I said, that that salary that I pay myself is terrific, but I have not taken a vacation and had the business continue to run and like make money and have clients be served. It's always been like, oh, okay, well, after this launch or something like that, I can just like put up in a out of office for a while. Um, so that's really the goal now is building uh, training the team that I have now so that um, I'm really not doing anything that critical. And it's going to take a while, but I'm going on vacation in June. <laughs> I think that's a really good place to start to wrap it up. But is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't touched on yet? I am. I'm really new to the whole team thing. I guess I always like to 
just kind of point out the people who have taught me about this stuff. Um, I'm a huge fan of Rachel Rogers, and she she has been telling me since in like a dinner in Boise, Idaho in 2018 that I needed to hire full time in my team. Uh, and that was a really important conversation that took me a long time to implement. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely I'm loving full time and I know it's a huge leap for people. And what I don't have, and maybe you have some advice for like, how can people afford to make that leap when they're not quite, when they don't have like all the company reserves? Or do you just recommend that they build up the company reserves and then go into hiring? Oh, I think this is a conversation that I have with almost every guest of the do you grow to hire or hire to grow? Yeah, let's conversation. talk about it. I mean, I actually have this question about my next hire. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? So I, I can argue both sides of this. And I think it's situation dependent. Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the position that you're hiring for and what the goals of that position are. You know, if you are hiring a uh a marketer or you're hiring something specifically designed to bring in revenue, then sometimes you can justify the, okay, I'm going to hire this in order to grow. Um, I think sometimes on the operational side, we hire a little too fast um, mm. because there's not enough operational stuff and that spending a little bit more time on internal processes and cleaning them up. Um, one, so that you're better prepared when you hire somebody and they're a lot more effective. Uh, but also because it can be a real capacity booster and sometimes just an hour or two figuring out, you know, a checklist or a process uh, can make you realize, oh, wait, 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 I don't actually have enough work for that, that back end person yet. I have my, my friend Jason, we just talked about this, where he's like, I always hire to grow. I just hire whatever. And ultimately it comes down to how comfortable you are with risk. Mm hmm. Like, I think it really comes down to, are you comfortable putting your business and your finances on your on the line to make this hire? And how confident are you that this hire is going to pay off with the growth that you need uh, to bring in the revenue to pay this person? And everybody's got a different level of risk and a different financial situation. So some people might not have company reserves, but they've got a lot of personal savings that they're willing to fall back into if, you know, if shit hits the fan. Some people are really uncomfortable with spending money they don't have, and they decide not to. And I, I mean, I think you could make the argument either way. And the right decision for you and for your business isn't going to be the same as somebody else. Mm. I don't think there's a I don't think there's a right answer to the hire to grow or grow to hire question. I think it's position and situation and business dependent. So my full time executive assistant started uh, the very last week of March. Right. So she's she has not had two full months yet. I know that she is still totally in the onboarding process and she, but she's she's excellent. Uh, we brought on this new like coach for the program. She's a couple weeks in, right? I feel almost a responsibility to do a much better job of onboarding them before I bring on somebody else. Yeah. So I'm not crazy. Absolutely. 
No, I, that's one of the reasons why I, so I'm kind of a slow to hire team member kind of person. I will quickly hire a company to do a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Yellow House produces the podcast. That was an easy decision. I don't really have to, like, you don't have to onboard consultants you work with. Right. <laughs> more, more they onboard you. And so it's a much easier decision. But when you're hiring team members, whether that's, you know, freelance contractor type people or employees, onboarding them into your company culture is part of the process of them becoming a part of your cohesive team. And I think we forget that there is a operational cost to hiring people. You know, we have to spend time training them, making sure that they're they understand what their role is, that they have all the resources they they need, they have all the training they need. That takes time and if you hire in overwhelm, that's just one more thing on your plate, which is why I always kind of recommend like, hey, just take an hour and see, is there a checklist that you can create to make this an easier process for yourself? Is there, you know, is this something that you could automate with Zapier and you don't have to hire a person to do? Um, and so I always kind of recommend that folks go through that process because of exactly what you're talking about. Once you have that process, it's so much faster to onboard a new person. You know exactly what that person's gonna do. You can have the time that you're, that you need to bring them on as a really, um, as a member of the, of your team versus just being like, all right, you're here. Here, figure it out, Mm -hmm. thanks. Yeah, (laughs) there was some level of figure it out, but I mean, I already had a lot of systems in place, but I think many of them needed to be updated. So Mm -hmm. the good thing is that, you know, I hired somebody who has an eye for operations. So she pretty quickly was like, all right, this can be improved. Yes. And let me just go ahead and do that. And I said, yeah. But you had a foundation. You you didn't have to be like, so you could be like, hey, here's how the funnel works. Here's how this works. At least at a high level, you could, you know, make a loom video explaining what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Uh, which is still a process. You know, we, we like thinking of processes as like this is an exact checklist and sometimes it's just, here's how this is supposed to work. But once you've made the here's how this is supposed to work video, you can use here's how this is supposed to work for everybody that comes onto your team. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, so it doesn't exactly. have to be formal or onerous, but yeah, on onboarding employees takes time and effort and energy, especially if you really want them to be good and capable and empowered. I think you're spot on with hire people, onboard them, make sure that they are independent and empowered and you're not spending a lot of time training them anymore before you go to the next one. Yeah. Good. Good call. Same as I same as I think anything in maintenance mode. It's just one. It's a tiny part of maintenance mode. So would would you call this maintenance? But I don't think of this as maintenance mode. No, but having, if you think about it from a like really granular perspective, um, being in maintenance mode in your business is the result of putting tiny things, every tiny process in your business in some sort of maintenance mode. And it doesn't have to be automatic, um, but having an employee that knows what they're supposed to do and knows how to do that for the most part that can kind of just work independently. Obviously, like you still have to guide your team and you're still there in a leadership role, but having an employee who can operate independently 
well, they can be a little bit on maintenance mode if you're not training them and you can focus your attention on another part of the business. And so maintenance mode can be really big in encompassing your whole business. Or it can be really granular with, you know, a single process, a single employee, a single team member, a single part of your business. Got and it. then, you know, when you compound all of those, you create a really resilient, sustainable, strong business. Nice. All right. Makes sense. <laughs> so where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about you and what you do? Well, I would love to have some of your, your listeners come over and become some of my listeners. So I have a podcast where I ask people how much money they make and how they make it. Um, so that's called the Get Paid Podcast. That might be easier, easiest for people to just, you know, pop into whatever uh, app they're using to listen to your show. But also if they wanna, you know, learn more about working with me on their Facebook and Instagram ads, uh, that's, I'm over at clairepels.com. That's just my homepage. If you've done the prep work, created solid processes, and spent some time preparing your business to run in maintenance mode, it won't all come crashing down if you take a break. Let me repeat that because I need to remember it too. Your business won't break if you take a break. It's okay to take time off. That's the point of maintenance mode, to give you that time and space to take a real break, not a vacation where you're checking your email or you're stuck on your laptop kind of break, but a real genuine break. Claire is a great example. She planned, prepared, and saved. And when the time came, she was able to take a real break and do nothing in her business for months. And it was still there when she came back. Nothing broke, nothing disappeared. And taking that break also exposed places where she could continue to shore up her systems and make them even stronger for the next time. You can't know where your systems are weak unless you give them a bit of a test. So look for opportunities to test your own business for weaknesses. Can you step away for a day, a week, a month? How long could your business operate without you? And where exactly does it start to break down? Look for those cracks. They're actually opportunities to shore up, build more resilient systems, and help you work towards having a business that's ready to operate in maintenance mode whenever you need it to. Next week, we're talking about habits and the role they play in building a maintenance-first business. So hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. And if you know someone you think would enjoy this episode, please share it with them. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. 